Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know medical care requires informed consent, but laws require informed consent. Politics, entrepreneurship, how you engage with your diet, health, exercise, even relationships. These all require a place of being informed. And I am so sick of being called a conspiracy theorist for using my brain and being informed. So that's where this podcast came to life. This is Informed Consent. I'm your host, Brooke Brewer. Let's start talking. By the time your child is two months old, according to the CDC schedule, they will have received multiple injections of aluminum, formaldehyde, lactose, a milk protein derivative, yeast, polyosorbate 80, along with many other, many, many other ingredients by the time they've lived two months. We've talked about thus far, a child at their second month checkup is have already received the vitamin K shot as well as the hepatitis B vaccine. And last week we covered the rotavirus vaccine. Reminder, on a child's second month checkup, they will receive the rotavirus, the second dose of their hepatitis B, the diphtheria, tetanus, and acellular pertussis vaccine, which is known as the DTAP, the Hib vaccine, the pneumococcal vaccine, and the inactivated polio vaccine. This is all by the second month checkup or on the second month checkup, should I say. This week, we are going to continue going through the vaccines that a child would get on their second month checkup, and that is the Hib vaccine that vaccinates for the Haemophilus influenza type B bacteria. So today, we're going to dive in to this vaccine, to this bacteria, to exactly what this is, what we need to fear, what we maybe should consider with this vaccine different options as we have in every other episode. But before we get into it, I want to talk about one of my favorite weight loss products on the market right now. Collagen is such a hot topic right now being talked about all over the social media world, influencers, and and good Collagen is so important to you, but knowing the collagen that you're using and how it's extracted and how it's actually working with your body is so important. Collagen is a protein found in 25 to 30% of the whole body. It's present in our connected tissues, such as our skin, tendons, ligaments, gut, blood vessels, bones, and muscle tissue. It's one of the most common proteins in the body. And And unfortunately, as we age, the natural making of collagen decreases, making it even more important to include it as a supplement in our daily routine. What if I told you that there was a collagen product on the market today that also helps to melt away your fat? I have found a product that not only has patented bioidentical and bioavailable collagen, which basically means it's identical to the human body. So not only do we fully absorb it, but we recognize it. So we actually can utilize it, but it also can burn fat. Trim not only includes the daily recommended collagen hyaluronic acid matrix collagen, but it includes CLA which is conjugated linoleic acid. This helps to accelerate fat reduction, reduce fat cell line, 
reduce fat cell formation, improves your muscle tone, boosts your metabolism, helps you burn more calories and promotes lean body composition. I don't know about you guys, but summer is right around the corner and I am working on my beach body right now. And this product has helped dramatically me help burn those fat cells, but also work on that body composition. So if you are wanting to shred some extra fat this summer while also supporting your body's natural collagen levels, you can try the trim. I personally love the chocolate. It tastes like brownie batter. It is so good. And you can actually try it for $10 off. It's super simple to order. Go to modir.com. That's M-O-D-E-R-E.com and search for trim collagen. Again, my favorite's the chocolate. It tastes like brownie batter, but there's so many other delicious flavors that are all vegan organic, natural, gluten-free, low, low, low sugars, no artificial sugars, no artificial sweeteners, all very, very good ingredients while also tasting delicious. So again, go to modir.com and search for trim collagen. And at checkout, use code 4842132 to save you $10 off your first order. So the Haemophilus influenza type B, this is also known as the Hib. I first want to make a very clear understanding that this is not the actual influenza that we think of for the flu. This actually got its name as influenza because it was thought to have potentially in the late 19th century to be believed to cause influenza, but that actually was proven false, but obviously it still kept its name. The Haemophilus influenza is a bacterium that causes often severe infections, particularly among infants. There's actually many different types of bacterium in the specific Haemophilus influenza, but the Hib, the type B strain is actually the most severe, which is why this in specific is what has a vaccination for. The Hib, the Haemophilus influenza type B, is the leading cause of bacterial meningitis during the pre-vaccine era. So before a vaccine was around, this is actually the leading bacterial strain that is a result in meningitis. Before a vaccine was present for the Hib, there was actually approximately one in 200 children in the age group of a child under the age of five years old had developed a pretty severe Hib disease. Approximately actually two thirds of all cases occurred among children younger though than 18 months old. So it, it is very, very true that this was a potentially serious bacterium that a child could get that could result in a serious meningitis disease or other diseases. In fact, this can also cause pneumonia, bloodstream infections, and even epiglottitis. If that's pronounced correctly, I apologize if I butchered that, but this is actually where your throat can get infected and kind of like croup and your throat can actually close off. So it is a pretty severe reaction and a pretty severe disease that can actually come from the Hib. And these are all potential diseases that can come from this bacteria. Remember the Hib is a bacteria 
criteria. We only vaccinate for the type B because this is the worst type of Haemophilus influenza. And the vaccine came out around 1980. It is actually very, very likely that this vaccine did actually really make a huge effect on the occurrence of this bacteria. In fact, they were saying about 20,000 Hib cases a year prior to the vaccine. And following the vaccine, the instances of Hib has declined about 99% since the vaccine was introduced. It is studied that about actually 10 cases of the Hib is reported a year in the United States and about one fatality a year from HIB. So it is now very, very rare. In fact, there's almost no cases to the point where some will say that it is just about eradicated in the United States. And yes, it is very believed that it is from the vaccine, unfortunately, because of the lack of clinical studies and research that is done on vaccinated versus unvaccinated populations. We can't draw those conclusions, but looking at the numbers, it has pretty good trends that this vaccine has seemed to eradicate quite a bit of the cases of Hib. About 2,000 cases annually a year of the Hib bacteria before the vaccine. Now we're at just about 10 cases a year. So that's very, very much close to 100% of those cases have decline. But not only that, the diseases and the severe reactions to Hib are even more rare. Again, we talked about those that come from the Hib. We have the pneumonia, meningitis, the bloodstream infections, all of those serious diseases are that much more rare now. You can catch this just like any other cold or flu, actually through the respiratory system. It's an upper respiratory tract bacterium that is transmitted person to person by inhalation of basically the respiratory droplets that come from the body or actually even by direct contact with the respiratory tract secretions. Children of particularly close contact with the case to the patient, for example, large households, childcare, institutional settings like schools is where outbreaks are most common or spreading of this is the most common because again, it's that respiratory transmission of this bacteria. The, the people that are most at risk for not only getting HIB, but more getting that severe case of HIB would be age. Obviously, the youngest and older cases are the most at elevated risk as their immune systems tend to be weaker. Race and ethnicity, Native Americans actually have more of an elevated risk possibly confounded by socioeconomic variables associated with both race and ethnicity and the hip disease, and also chronic disease, any sort of autoimmune disorders, actually the HIV infection being one of them, immunoglobal deficiency. If you are a recipient of chemotherapy or even stem cell transplant, these are all considered in the chronic diseases that can make you more at risk for having a severe Hib bacterium infection. Those that are getting breastfed, breastfed babies tend to have a much stronger, stronger and more protective factor to the Hib 
especially in infants younger than six months old, because breastfeeding and passively acquired maternal antibodies are most present. So breastfed babies are not in as high risk of a category for the Hib. Although yes, the Hib can come with some disease complications, again, tying into that pneumonia, meningitis, most of the time, the HIV is completely treatable, especially on early onset. It is very treatable with antibiotics and typically will subside once those antibiotic treatments are done, even within the first few days. But again, this is on early onset. So if you are catching this bacterium infection at a much later stage in the infection is when you could be potentially looking towards a more severe reaction or severe infection that could cause fatality, especially when this can turn to meningitis. If this turns to meningitis, the statistics of Hib meningitis fatalities are about five to 10% for those again, who catch meningitis through this Hib. Hib symptoms typically depend on which part of the body is infected and also depending on how severe of the case, but the, the most standard symptoms of Hib is a fever, severe headache, stiff neck, seizures, severe drowsiness, shortness of breath, cough, and even breathing problems. And it all will vary by case. It will all vary by the severity and how early you caught. Again, the earlier onset of treatment, the better off your child is to have a 100% recovery from the HIV. So the vaccine, let's talk about the vaccine. So the vaccine came out in around 1980 and looking at the statistics from when it previously was not around to now, it does seem as though this HIB vaccine has dramatically helped to decrease the cases of HIB and also decrease the severity of cases, which is, which is wonderful, right? It's the goal of vaccines. But I think it's also important to talk about with everything that we have is risk versus reward. And so with the HIP vaccine, this vaccine is actually given four times. If you follow the full CDC schedule, if you do not ask questions, if you do not ask to modify anything, your child will get the HIP at two months, four months, six months, and 15 months. So again, you are getting four doses. Something I think is very important to note and is very important to consider if you are doing some research and maybe even considering delaying or debating whether or not you want to get this vaccine is you can actually, this is actually one of the very few vaccines that you will be allowed to delay or not follow the full dosage schedule. And what I mean by that is each the reason why we vaccinate at two months, four months, six months, and 15 months is because each dose doesn't work as well with young babies, but each booster that you get will help to build that immunity. But studies have shown that one dose will work just as fine if given at a later date, which is why there is many parents and many children who will only receive one vaccine for the HIV, and that's at 15 months. And this is something that is allowed and you can speak to your doctor about. You can not choose to not vaccinate the HIV at two months, four months, and six months, and just vaccinate at 15 months 
And studies have proved that you will have just as much immunity from getting the 15th month vaccine than you will have getting all four vaccines. So a very, very interesting thing to think about. Why are we vaccinating our children three more times than obviously what looks like it's needed to. But I think this is something important to know is if you are someone who is wanting to delay your vaccines or to opt out of certain vaccines, this is an option that you can choose to opt out of potentially three of the hip vaccines and just get the 15th month vaccine, which will statistically give you just as much immunity as if you were to get the other three. The Hib vaccine is grown. It's actually grown in a bunch of Hib bacteria in a, in a Petri dish, essentially. And they break it up and extract all of the sugars from the Hib bacterium. And because essentially there's sugars that line, that are coated around the sides of the bacteria. And so what they do is they extract these sugars and they purify it with formaldehyde. So it neutralizes anything that's in there. And then what they do is, is they actually take the sugars that they extracted and purified of that Hib bacterium and they bond it with tetanus toxin. The tetanus toxin is also used in the DTAP vaccine. We will talk about this when we cover that vaccine. Um, but this mixes with the Hib sugars and it helps the vaccine with better immune system reactions. So it will create a stronger antibody response. Now I want to pause there and kind of go over that a little bit more. If you did not listen to our ingredients episode, I, I highly encourage you to do so because as I had said, I'm, I'm not going to spend as much time in these individual vaccines going over ingredients and what those ingredients do as much because I don't want to keep repeating myself, but I do think it's important for me in this situation to, to remind you guys why, why there's a tetanus toxin in this vaccine. In a lot of vaccines, because the bacterium or the virus or whatever it is that you're vaccinating for is at such small doses, sometimes the body doesn't recognize it as much, or the immune system won't have as strong of a response because it, it it's not acting because it's so small, right? Comparable to if you are to get natural immunity. And so a lot of vaccines, in fact, almost every single vaccine will have an adjuvant. And this is an ingredient that is meant to essentially piss off your immune system to force it to turn on. It's going to force it to get to work, to build that antibody response, to build that immune response. And so this tetanus toxin is in there to build immune responses. So in hopes that you will build up antibody to what's it, what it is bonded to, which again, it's bonded to that Hib bacterium. So your body, your body will associate that tetanus poison with the Hib bacterium. So when it comes into contact with the Hib, it's going to continuously think, okay, I have to turn on my, my immune system because we don't like this. And a huge reason because of that is again, because the Hib is bound tightly towards is bound tightly with that tetanus toxin. Other ingredients, as I shared, we have that formaldehyde in there because the formaldehyde is used to help purify those sugars to neutralize anything that's in it. There's also lactose and milk protein derivatives in here. Now, I want to touch on one more thing when it comes to ingredients on this one, and it's the idea 
of that antibody response. Now, if your body is told to have an immune response to the Hib bacterium, because it's bound tightly with that tetanus toxin, and the purpose of that tetanus toxin is to create an immune system response. What is it to say that that exact immune system response won't think the milk derivatives or the lactose that is in this vaccine is also not going to be seen as a bad thing? Just think about that for a minute. There's a book that if you are curious at all about why allergies and peanut allergies and dairy allergies and so many other intolerances are so prominent today, I urge you to read The Peanut Butter Epidemic because it explains this whole idea and concept that, in my opinion, is more than an idea. It's fact that if you are pairing a adjuvant, so that piss off chemical or toxin. So in this situation, we've got the tetanus toxin, and actually there's aluminum in in one of the two, there's two different hip vaccines. And one of them, interestingly enough, has aluminum. The other doesn't aluminum is an adjuvant, but if you're pairing the vaccine with an adjuvant in order for it to get an immune response to the bacterium that you're vaccinating it for, what is it to say that that exact vaccine isn't creating an immune response to say the lactose or the milk protein, or in some situations, egg proteins, or in some situations, a nut oil that's so identical to peanuts, right? I mean, look at how many allergies are present today that were never, ever, ever present before. I, I never, I think I knew one, one kid in my school that had a peanut butter allergy in high school. And now you can hardly even bring peanuts on airplanes because everyone's got peanut allergies. They didn't just randomly happen. God didn't just randomly decide that he's going to give kids peanut allergies in our days. I do not believe in coincidences. And I find it very, very coincidental that all of these vaccines that have these strong adjuvants that are there proven, I mean, you can look it up on the CDC schedule, the vaccine manufacturing schedules, the inserts, the reason why there's these harmful ingredients to build immune response. What is it to say the other ingredients in these vaccines aren't going to cause that same immune response? Very interesting. So again, we've got the formaldehyde, we've got lactose, we've got milk protein derivatives, we've got aluminum in one of the two different vaccine options, and we've got tetanus toxin. These are some of the the many ingredients that are in this vaccine. Side effects of this vaccine aren't too severe, very uncommon, but also reported side effects. We have anaphylactic shock and nerve, nerve damage, but most of the reactions seen from this are not too obvious and tend to be minor, if, if you could consider them minor, but they actually are not awful. So this vaccine is, is probably one of your best vaccines when it comes to side effects. I do think it's important to share, though, that there has been 20,000 serious reactions reported to VAERS, keeping in mind that Harvard study states that 1% 
of the reactions that happen are even reported to VAERS. So again, keeping that in mind, 2,700 fatal reactions were reported to VAERS. So about 2,700 people um, reported to VAERS that their child was killed from this vaccine. There have been 33 deaths from this vaccine that were taken to vaccine court. 120 serious reactions were taken to vaccine court. Taking a look at the insert. So I am actually looking at the liquid Petavax Hib vaccine. So this is one of the two different common vaccine options that you can get. This is the vaccine that you will see at your two months, four months, six months, and 15 month visits, unless you delay or change it up otherwise. And a couple of things that I want to highlight from this vaccine insert that everyone, in my opinion, should read through before saying yes to this. Each dose is 0.5 milliliters of the vaccine. So at two months, four months, six months, and 15 months, there is 0.5 milliliters of the vaccine that you're going to get. And each one of those contains 225 micrograms of aluminum, which is in the form of amorphous aluminum hydroxophosphate sulfate, previously referred to as aluminum hydroxide. So you are getting 223 micrograms of aluminum per vaccine. So times that by five. So just in this vaccine alone, doing that math, if you were not to delay, if you were to do everything as recommended, you would have received 900 micrograms injected of aluminum by your 15th month birthday. This is an injected vaccine. This is not an ingested vaccine, which absolutely does make a difference of how your body absorbs and reacts to these harmful chemicals. A few other things that I feel is important to note from this insert that is very, very clearly written in this insert are adverse reactions. This study for adverse reactions was a controlled study, which all of these studies are controlled, but they were, but they were only studied for over a 48 hour period. So no long term safety studies, just short term, but still at that Of the people that were evaluated, of the children, I should say, that were evaluated in this study, according to their chart, so post one hour of the 222 subjects that were evaluated, 18% of these children had a fever, 2% had arrhythmia, and 2.5% had swelling. This was post the first dose, post the second dose, which was a smaller subject window, about 206. We are looking at 14.1% of those children within six hours had a fever, 1.6% of those children had arrhythmia, and 0.9% had swelling. This was noted in just the observation period of the small study that was done to ensure safety for this vaccine. Some other potential adverse reactions listed on the vaccine insert includes early onset Hib disease. 
So right on this insert, it states that you could get early onset hip disease. So you could get hip from the vaccine. Interesting. Another adverse event that is reported on the insert is Golan-Barre syndrome, which is a very severe syndrome that is similar to poliomyelitis. It's got a lot of that paralysis of the body and is a very common, sadly, side effect to many different vaccines. I do also want to take note that on the actual insert, it does state that children 15 months of age or older that are previously unvaccinated against HIB should only need to receive a single dose. So this is something that even if your doctor does not tell you, you can do, it is listed on the vaccine insert as a option for you. So if you are not wanting to inject this much toxins into your child, or if you are considering delaying, it is an option and it's important to know your options. Also listed on this vaccine insert, just like every other insert, is that this liquid pedivax hib has not been evaluated for carcinogenic or mutagenic potential or potential to impair fertility. So there has never been a test on if this causes cancer or never been a test on if this affects women's fertility. So this vaccine, it's very interesting to me because if you personally were to ask me what the best vaccine for you would be, I would probably say this one. This one seems to have had the best success in actually getting rid of many cases, but it's, it's still so probable to work as it really has not, we have not had too many studies to prove it. And we've never had those long-term vaccine versus unvaccinated population. So we really don't have an idea of if it had anything to do with our sanitary practices, our clean water or if the resistance of this bacterium has changed in our children, or if our immune systems have gotten stronger, there's really no, no way we will fully know, but we can call, we can draw a pretty good conclusion that this vaccine has actually worked very well. There is such little cases though, especially now that this is a vaccine, or I should say this is a bacterium that isn't talked about as often because there is such little public health issues with, again, about 10 children being diagnosed a year with HIB. It's, it's so minimal that this isn't one that is heavily talked about, but yet we still vaccinate for it. And, and I think it's, again, I think it's a very interesting one because this is a vaccine that although may have of great success, I still have a lot of questions about it. Questions about the ingredients, questions about the potential side effects, the long-term safety studies, why we are injecting it three times into our children when it states on the insert that you only need one at 15 months if you choose to do so. So it's, it's very interesting. And this is one that I really, truly believe that you need to do your homework on. You need to look into your inserts. You need to ask your doctor. You need to study the effects of aluminum. Like I said, you are getting 225 micrograms of aluminum in each injection. Remind you about the size of a, let's say a two-month-old baby is about 
15 pounds or maybe, maybe around there, I, I would think you're about looking at 34 micrograms of aluminum is the safe limit. So if you are injecting 225 micrograms, you are exceeding the safe limit dramatically. So these are all things that we need to think about because again, aluminum in itself is highly neurotoxic. And it actually shows in studies that 100% of the aluminum is absorbed into our body when it's injected. And also, I think it's important to note that you could still get the Hib if you get the vaccine. It says it right in the answer that you could get the Hib from the Hib vaccine. So informed consent is important, my friends. Informed consent, that's the name of this podcast. That's the reason why I do this show is because we all deserve informed consent. And I hope that this episode gave you more insight on yet another vaccine that we vaccinate our children for and help you get better understanding if if this is the route that you want to take with your child or not. So as always, if you could share this, if you could like this, if you could review this, if you could tag me on Instagram, when you talk about this, it would be greatly appreciated because I do this to help you guys. I do this to help educate you because I know when I was going through my research for vaccines, I wish I had this given to me to help me know where to start. And if you are wondering how you can keep going and how you can keep learning, I have linked everything in the show notes and that's a great place to start. And then you just click a link and click a link. And then that's how you keep learning more. So thank you guys for tuning in week after week. And I will see you next week with another part to our vaccine conversation series.